uh, open to Ruth uh, chapter 1. And if the events, uh, you know, unfolding uh, minute by minute in our world have not convinced us of the need, and this is one of the big themes of Ruth, of the need to be redeemed. And when I use that word, what I mean is like freed from this world, freed uh, from the grip of sin um, that's in this world. So I don't know if that need for redemption hasn't made, been made so obvious to you by the unfolding events, and I really don't know what would get your attention to know, you know, why we really do need to be redeemed. Humanity, the fact is, and, and you know, we've said this many times, the fact is humanity is very fragile, very frail, and evidently, in the course of the last weeks we have found out, uh, we cannot control viruses, we cannot control economies when viruses and economies decide to do their own thing. Uh, we need someone outside of ourselves, in fact, to redeem us and to free us. And so in the book of Ruth, as I said, we're going to take four weeks uh, to do this. And what we'll see is a couple of really prominent themes coming out. The sovereignty of God, that is to say, God's in control, and I think we acknowledge that. But then further, that, that um, we see the compassion of God in this book. And, and that is to say, God loves us. And I hope we hear that and, and know that. These themes both come through loud and clear in, in both the, the traumatic circumstances of life that Naomi goes through, but also in the blessings that she reaps and that Ruth reaps uh, by the end of the narrative. And there's going to be a lot for us to unpack in this uh, little narrative. Uh, there's a lot for us to learn and grow in along the way, especially as we face the current situation, not to mention all the normal stuff of life, all the burdens we were already carrying before this whole thing uh, even started. And in all of this, in every circumstance, this is the message we need to hear, God is working to free his people from the shackles of sin and its effects on the world and to move us, and this is the title of the series, to move us further down the road to redemption. This is what everything's about. This is what our entire life is about, that we would be making progress on the road to redemption. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross that we would be redeemed. And accepting that initially into our life, but then allowing the effects of that in our life to be felt over the course of the entire journey that we're on. That's what the road to redemption is actually all about. And so that's what we're going to see in the text. And, and let me um, read the first 18 verses, what we're going to look at here uh, this morning. So Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. And they were... Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, no, we will remain with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Join me uh, in prayer before we uh, get into this. Father, help us to, to see your sovereign plan for us, your control over the situation. Father, help us to experience and know your love and compassion toward us. And in these moments, fathers, we have your word open in front of us. Open also our hearts and our minds to receive the implanted word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's uh, look at this on the road to redemption. Uh, The first thing is I'm going to find that I am faced uh, with many heartaches and challenges. Uh, No surprise there, correct? Uh, No surprise that I'm going to be faced with many heartaches and challenges. Jesus, in fact, said in John uh, 16, in this world, you will have trouble. James wrote in his uh, book that um, uh, consider it all joy when you face trials of all kinds. Not if you face trials of all kinds, but when you face them. Uh, One of Job's friends in the conversations with him about what was happening in his life, trial upon trial, one of his friends friends said to him in Job 5, 7, 7, man is born to trouble. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Now, I don't, I don't, I, I think this is the thing. You don't need those scripture references to actually know that man was born for trouble, that, that in this world we'll have trials, that, that when we face trials, not if. You don't need to be convinced from the scriptures of all of this because you're living it out. Heartaches and challenges, in fact, define our lives in so many ways. 
And so it was for Naomi here in the text. In the first two verses, of course, the stage is set. In the days when the judges ruled, the story itself that we're reading happened in the pre-monarchy period. So before King Saul was ever appointed as king of Israel, it's before that when these judges were appointed to help Israel Um, in terms of leadership, in terms of spiritual guidance, all of that. It's in that period. We don't know precisely when. Now, the book itself, because of some of the things that are in the book toward the end especially, we know the book itself was written down when King David had ascended to the throne. In any event, in the context of the story, this is during the time of the judges, there was a famine. You see this. There was a famine in the land, and there's the first crisis we're going to look at. And famine in Israel, by the way, when famine happened in Israel, because God had promised to provide for his people, when a famine happened, it was God trying to get their attention. It was, okay, you've been sinning, and in this case, going after the gods of the Canaanites, who they had not completely uh, flushed out of the land. And God was getting their attention. He was disciplining them by sending this famine on the land. Just as he had prescribed through Moses, there was, there was no secrets here that this was going to happen if they were unfaithful. And so then we see this man of Bethlehem, following along in the text here, man of Bethlehem, Elimelech is his name, his wife Naomi, their two sons, they moved to Moab. Now in, your mar- in the margin of your Bible, if you're taking notes right now, just write, this is a bad decision. Okay, this is a bad decision to move to Moab. It's a faithless move. God was trying to bring discipline on his people. And it's like Elimelech is saying, well, I'm not going to learn that lesson. I'm just going to go and get out from under it. It was an attempt to take matters into his own hand to escape the very real lesson that God was seeking to bring to his people. And so you can take note here because there's kind of like this list, but take note here that heartache and challenge number one that we see is the famine for sure. But heartache challenge number two is the move to Moab because this is like a, this is a foreign land. But it's not only a foreign land, it's a pagan land. They don't worship Yahweh there. Not only is it a foreign and pagan land, but it's historically one of the enemies of Israel. And so that's another challenge that they're facing. Then there's a third one. In verse 3, we find out Elimelech dies. So now the challenge is for Naomi. The challenge is she's now a widow and single mom of two boys in a foreign land. Heartache challenge number four comes at us really hard. Her sons then fall in love and marry these two Moabite women. That's in verse four, Orpah and Ruth, which was also, by the way, prohibited by the Mosaic law. And so it's an indicator of how far off track Elimelech Elimelech and Naomi really were in their spiritual journey. And then because four challenges... Four heartaches are not enough. There's a fifth one. The young couples were married for just 10 years. And then in verse 5, we find out both Malon and Killian die so that Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. And I can't imagine the heartache and the grief that goes along with something like that. So the trials that she was facing were, let's just say, they were all-encompassing. They were like natural disasters that happened on the land. That's the famine. They were health issues. There were financial issues. There were relational social issues and grief issues. It's all there. And, and, and the, the point of, of what we're saying here in this, in this first part of the message is 
simply that you and I should not expect a smooth ride through life. Yes, yes, COVID-19, we could talk about that, is, is unusual in itself, but it follows a regular pattern of what has happened in history with epidemics and pandemics and plagues all throughout history. That's really unusual in our lifetime. I've never seen something like this, but it's not unusual in history. Why would I think that I would expect to go through my entire life without ever having experienced something like this? You and I should not expect a smooth ride through life. And we do ourselves, in fact, a huge favor by acting as if we actually believe that. But instead, we tend to have this sense of entitlement. If we, if we do believe this, that I should not expect a smooth ride through life, that will actually help me with bitterness. We'll come back to that issue. It helps me with anger against God, and it helps me with that sense of entitlement. In other words, I could just step back and say, whatever I'm experiencing here, I'm getting what every human being is getting. And I don't believe that I have special status. Because our cosmology, the way we view the world as the followers of Jesus Christ and people who believe the Bible is, that the world is badly broken. We live in a badly broken world. It isn't getting better, and we don't actually control it. And so heartaches and challenges are what we face in this life. Now, what a depressing and discouraging message it would be if it ended there. And by the way, for those who don't believe in God, those who are atheists, those who don't think there is a God, or those who think that God isn't involved in the world, that is where it ends. And it's so depressing. It's, it's so dark and tragic for people who believe that. But for us who are on the road to redemption, yes, we are faced with many heartaches and challenges, but, see this next, I will cling to hope and believe for better days. Now this, by the way, I can write this here, but this didn't come easily for Naomi. And in the next passage we're going to look at next week, Naomi actually renames herself. You see it in verse 20. She renames herself Mara. Naomi means pleasant. But she's at the place in her life where she's going like, there's nothing pleasant about my life. She renames herself and Mara means bitter. She's calling herself out. And at best what you see in Naomi is a very conflicted person as we often are, wouldn't you say that you're conflicted at times? That, that you believe God, you believe in God, you, you have all the right ideas about him and you've invested yourself in all of that, but at times you doubt and at times you question and at times you have a hard time really trusting his plan. She did have small, a small sense of hope here. In the face of five, these five crushing circumstances that came against her, look at verse 6 now. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. She heard, of course, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food, so the famine had ended. 
Verse 7 says, so she set out with the girls who returned to Israel. And then verse 8 in this, I don't know what happened between verses 7 and 8, but in this moment of sober second thought, they're already kind of like setting out on the journey, but she turns to her daughters-in-law and she says, go return each of you to her, her mother's house. Go back home. May the Lord deal kindly with you. There's like a, an echo there of the hesed of God, the covenant faithfulness, the loyalty of God in that phrase. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, their husbands and their father-in-law and with me. Verse 9, she goes on, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband, meaning go find a new husband. And she kissed them, everybody wept. And so on the one hand, she's clinging to this hope, you know. She, she wants to go back home. She knows that's the best thing to do. She has a sense inside of herself, like this is the best decision and this is going to be good for me to do this. But on the other hand, she doesn't want her daughters-in-law to have to adapt to life in what's going to be a foreign culture for them, which is something she knows a lot about. So the hope for them is to stay among their own people. That's what she believes. Stay among your own people, remarry, have a life. But then there's this discussion that ensues because the girls say to her in verse 10, no, no, we're not going back to Moab. We're going with you. And I hope in that you, you can sense the love and the compassion and, and, and the loyalty that they have for one another because here they are, three women in a staunchly patriarchal culture who are just trying to make their way through life and they deeply have come to love one another. Verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you do this? What she's saying again, I, I've said already it's a patriarchal culture, so no one get offended at me. It helps that you're not here in the room. But marriage guarantees your future as a woman in that culture at that time. Marriage guarantees the future. Marriage gives them security. And without that, as widows, they're impoverished. Naomi actually says to them, and it's a bit of a ridiculous line of reasoning when you, when you read this here, and I think that's actually the point. She says, I can't have sons for you. If you do the math on how this all played out, Naomi clearly is in her 50s probably beyond the age of childbearing anyways. The girls are probably in their late 20s or early 30s. Naomi isn't going to get married again, she says. And even if she did get married again and happened to get pregnant right away and happened to have boys, were they going to wait 20 years for them to mature and then be able to marry these girls? And all of this, by the way, is tied, because we think this is a really ridiculous story, but all of it is tied into the Israel, Israeli concept of the redemption of land and carrying on the family name, which we're going to see later on in the story. That's the whole thing that she's explaining, verses 11 and 13, but the real ar argument comes right at the last part of verse 13, in fact. No, my daughters. This is the real reason, Okay. It's, it, it's exceedingly bitter. There's that word again. This is why she changes her name. It's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. And then listen to what she says here. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
despite any hope she has, and I believe she has some, despite any hope she has, she says that she's too bitter to be around and she's mad at God and she blames him wrongly. She blames him wrongly for their circumstances. And you can see the outcome of the discussion there in verse 14. They, everyone wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and Orpah went back to Moab. Now here's what's so critical in all of that. You could write this down in your notes. The hope was faint. I mean, it was barely anything when you read through this and you see the conversation. It was faint, but it was there. Naomi knew where she needed to go. She's, she's conflicted, but she's acting upon the smallest amount of faith that she has in God. And whatever you're facing right now, I mean, national emergencies aside, Whatever your current situation is right now, maybe it's desperate just like hers. And before we knew all about coronavirus and all of this, and before the effects of it just kind of cascaded upon us in the last few days, you were all still bearing the weight of your own circumstances. Now it's just compounded by what's happened in our culture. Like Naomi, it's like crisis one, crisis two, crisis three, crisis four, and crisis five is piled on top of all of it. And in our church family, many, many of you watching right now, we have couples working on terms of separation. We have marriages in crisis. We have so many of you with loved ones who have cancer diagnoses. There's so many other health-related concerns and challenges that people are facing. There are incredible financial pressures which we all just anticipate are going to get worse in the coming days. So many of you are dealing with depression and issues around anxiety. Many of you, like even our family, are grieving Grieving the loss of loved ones. Many struggling with addictions. And these aren't guesses I'm making. This isn't just a random assortment of issues that people can face. Every single one of those was taken right out of the prayer list from last Sunday. And the question is, will you cling to hope? However faint. Will you, will you believe God for better days? Could you say and live out and, and believe the beauty and hope of what Isaiah penned in Isaiah 40? Listen to this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
and they shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. That's it, isn't it? So on the road to redemption, I am faced with many heartaches and challenges, but I will cling to hope and and believe for better days and then see this last part, determined to go with God no matter what. I mean, this going with God part, it's, it's a journey, and the journey metaphor is throughout the Scripture. You know, Paul, in in a couple of his letters, Ephesians 5, he talks about us walking in love. It's journey. In in the book of Philippians chapter 3, he says, forget what lies behind you. Strain forward to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal. It's journey. The preacher said in Hebrews chapter 12, run the race with endurance. And in the Old Testament, in Psalm 119, verse 105, we find that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 23, verse 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. It's all the language of journey. And and here we have Naomi taking a real journey now from Moab to go back to Israel. But the whole thing stands for her and for us as this spiritual pilgrimage, this journey that all of us need to go on as believers. Now we left the action mid-sentence in verse 14 because Ruth apparently is going with Naomi despite the fact that Orpah makes the decision to go back. Verse 14 continues, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, and Naomi said, you should go with your sister-in-law. Now, before we get to what Ruth said, uh, you may or may not know this because the news has kind of been choked up by other things, but March is Women's History Month in Canada. Women's History Month. And so here's our contribution to that. A study on the book of Ruth and then In this study, bar none, one of the most powerful moments, one of the most powerful declarations of loyalty made by any person, let alone by a woman, in all of the word of God, she says this in verses 16 and 17, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Now listen to the pledge that she's making. The, the, the covenant loyalty that she's showing to her mother-in-law and then by extension to the nation that she belongs to. For where you go, I will go. You're going to Israel, I'm going with you. And where you lodge, I will lodge. You're going to live in Bethlehem, I'm going to be there with you. Your people, the Jewish people, those are going to be my people. Your God, Yahweh, is going to be my God. I'm now a worshiper and servant of Yahweh. Where you die, I will die. In the graveyard where they put you, there I'll be buried. And then she says this by way of an oath at the end of it, because she's made this incredible pledge. The oath is, and may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything 
but death parts me from you. And I hope when you hear that, I hope you feel the power of it. I mean, the the cadence of it and the lyrical structure of the speech, it's gripping and it's memorable and it's repeatable. And if if you heard that read, if you read it for yourself and you hear Ruth saying it, I hope you're also thinking, I want that to be me. I want to say an oath like that and live that out. I want that to be a defining moment in my own life. And no matter what else happens in the book, it's like the book could end right here and it would be awesome. No matter what else happens after this, this is the defining moment of the entire narrative. Ruth is saying, I'm, I'm going to embrace everything about you, mom. I'm going to journey with you, your land, your people, your language, your culture, your God, your grave, I'm in. Verse 18, and when Naomi saw that she was, here's the word, determined to go with her, she just said no more, and off they went. So so the pressing question for us is, are you determined to go with God on the journey no matter what path he puts you on? I mean, for Naomi and Ruth, understand, this is still the unknown. Ruth has never been there. It's hugely unknown to her. But even for Naomi, she doesn't know what kind of reception she's going to get when she gets to the other side. She's been gone for a long time. But Ruth is a Moabite woman. Again, an enemy of Israel, a foreigner. And a woman coming back into that context, how would she be received? The whole thing is such a mystery. Are you determined, here's the question again, are you determined to go with God on the journey no matter what path he leads you to take, even if it's a mystery, even if it's unknown? You know, when when Cheryl and I go on road trips, even if we know the exact place we're going and how to get there, we always put the Waze app on, going down the highway. We put the Waze app on. And, And we do that because there have been times when we've been on the 400 series highways, we've been, you know, eastbound on the 401, headed toward home, maybe grabbing the 407 or the 400. We're going to head north. And, and somewhere, you know, around Guelph, the Waze app tells us inexplicably, without, you know, without any reasoning behind it, to exit the highway. Now, we know exiting the highway at Guelph is not a good move. It's not going to get us to Barry the way we want to. But the Waze app tells us to do it, so we jump off the highway and we go down a country road and, and a little bit further south and then along another one and through a small town and back up and somehow we rejoin the 401 at some other point. And when you look back at the strange route, we check the app and we see that the highway that was in front of us before we exited has gone entirely red, has completely stopped because of an accident. And we realize that Waze took us along a path that we did not intend but that avoided for us a very long delay, maybe saving us hours. And we entrusted us, ourselves to that app, not knowing that it was taking us on a path that was actually going to be to our benefit. Now, the weakness in that illustration is that, listen, ways always leads you away from trouble. But sometimes when we follow the Lord, he leads us into trouble for purposes that probably only he knows. That's what's hard about this. And yet still, we would acknowledge with our minds, it's still the better way. 
So will I determine to go with God no matter what? Will I believe, Romans 8, 28, for those who love God, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've pledged yourself to follow him, for those who love God, you've come to the cross, you've received Christ as Lord and Savior. For those who love God, listen, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose might be famines, sickness, setbacks, losses. All things work together for his good. So be determined to go with God no matter what. Now what this isn't, And this is an important kind of last word period at the end of this sentence. What this is not is me as a Christian resigning myself to my fate. It is me being determined like Ruth in the face of challenges. And there's a huge difference between those two things. That determination comes because I have accepted that God has me on this certain path and loves me so much that he has a beautiful purpose in it for me. I accept that fact. And so I'm going to give the last word to another woman. Bible teacher Jill Briscoe said this, resignation lies down quietly in an empty universe. Acceptance rises up to meet the God who fills that universe with purpose and destiny. Resignation says, I can't. And God says, I can. Resignation says, it's all over for me. Acceptance asks, now that I'm here, Lord, what's next? Resignation says, what a waste. And acceptance says, in what redemptive way can you use this mess, Lord? Indeed. That's a good word for right now. In what redemptive way can you use this mess, Lord? That's where the road begins. Let's pray. Father, you are uh, good to us and you uh, speak to us with um, a clarity that we need. Uh, So much about what is happening in the world, in our own lives, is just such a mess and a mystery. So many opinions and so much to sift through. And Father, we need um, a clear word, and I believe that you've given it to us here through the book of Ruth. So Father, continue to minister in our church in these very special circumstances Father, in a supernatural, Holy Spirit way, Father, knit our hearts together in this moment. Continue to build your church. Do something that's extraordinary. Do something that's beyond anything we could imagine. And do it all, God, for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.